Hello and welcome to Calling All Detectives from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Calling all detectives. Most treasure hunts are paper chases. But I once went on a hunt with a real treasure at its end. That is the situation on this page from my casebook. The casebook of Jerry Browning, private detective. A private detective like me, Jerry Browning, doesn't have to look for trouble. But once I actually accepted an invitation to danger. It came in the morning mail. There was no signature below the stiff formal printing. And ordinarily I'd have handled it like any anonymous letter, flung it in the wastebasket. But this invitation was different. It was written in rhyme and started off, Calling all detectives and literary sleuths. You are hereby invited to demonstrate that truths are stranger than fiction. Then it went on to say that in honor of the memory of Edgar Allan Poe, the originator of detective fiction, there would be an exciting treasure hunt, starting at 8 p.m. in Willow Lawn Cemetery on Friday the 13th. I went for it, but I wasn't the only one. On the night of Friday the 13th, there must have been about 25 cars and at least 40 people in front of the towering gates of Willow Lawn Cemetery. I recognized Dr. Thayer, professor of literature at nearby Dunham College, Agnes Cranston and Harvey Culper, both top-flight mystery fiction writers, and a sprinkling of the town's bigger brains. I wandered over to talk to Dr. Thayer. Well, Mr. Browning, joining this sortie into mystery, glad to see you. I'd always admired that scholarly man. I asked him if he was going back to England soon, but he said no, he was here for keeps. Then as we watched, still more people assemble. I asked him if he knew who was behind the clambake. Thayer shook his head. I haven't an inkling, so that merely adds to the excitement. Just then the cemetery gates slowly opened, and from them walked a masked man whose entire body was wrapped in a long black cloak. I found out later that he was the harmless old caretaker who'd been paid plenty for the masquerade. But at the moment, he looked impressive. He handed each person an envelope labeled P-O-E-S-E-R, Poser Number 1. I opened mine and read, Here starts the chase, and to find the clue, go to the street that murderers rule. Well, that was easy. The reference was, of course, to Poe's story, The Murders in the Rue Morgue. And naturally, everyone headed for Wheeler Street, where the city morgue is located. It was a good try, but not good enough. I got there along with the rest of the pack, but what we found was absolutely nothing. If I intended to find that treasure, what I needed was a hot new lead on an ice-cold trail. When I accepted a clever, rhymed invitation to a treasure hunt, I found out that it was going to be a difficult chase. A new idea suddenly struck several of the crowd. There was another kind of Morgantown in the newspaper offices of the Daily Clarion. The morning edition was coming off the presses, and add to that the thunder of our feet tramping upstairs. You can imagine that morgue was a plenty noisy place. 
The envelopes labeled poser number two were stacked and waiting for us. This poser read, Congratulations, you're on to the plan. Now seek and find the exclusive Dupin. This time, everybody seemed to go off in different directions. I headed for a phone book. There were two Dupins listed, Henry and J.W. I wasted no time on them. I played around with the French and English pronunciation and came up with D-O-O-P, dupe, followed by the name Anne, a hairdresser. A shop was on the ground floor of the Kenton Hotel. By now, the chase had narrowed to only five participants. Besides myself, Harvey Cowper, Dr. Thayer, and two people I didn't know were still in the running. I saw them all come up as I drove away with my envelope and poser number three. This verse read, It keeps time, time, time with an on-the-hour chime. So look where the pit and the pendulum blend. There in the cavern you'll find treasure's end. I found the clock, the big old-fashioned number with a pendulum, in the tower atop the Board of Trade building, which, of course, housed the pit, the floor of the grain exchange, the place where the traders operate. I walked into the deserted building, looked up, and out of the blackness above, something white floated down to me. It was the fourth and final poser. It's number 12, but not by lift when footsteps are much better. Just walk inside and please recall Poe's purloined letter. The 12th floor housed the shop of Curran and Lorgan, one of the country's biggest dealers in rare books and manuscripts. I used a skeleton key to unlock the bookshop door. The shelves were lined with rare books, but I knew exactly what I was looking for, a volume by Edgar Allan Poe. There was only one such book. I opened it and found that it was really a box. And inside the box, there was some manuscript paper. The writing on it began, Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered weak and weary. Wow! Talk about treasure. I was holding the original handwritten manuscript of Poe's great poem, The Raven. I figured it was worth thousands, and now I understood the treasure hunt. What a publicity stunt! I put the manuscript in my pocket, locked the door, and went on downstairs, got into my car. I reached out my hand to turn on the ignition, and as I did... (laughs) Oh, I never knew what hit me. When I came to, the manuscript was gone. So was my assailant. And two husky cops were holding me. The next morning, the treasure hunt hoax was spread all over the papers, made idiots of the writers, the professor, the lawyer, and the society folk who'd been taken in by the ruse. But mostly, the laugh was on me. Jerry Browning, unwitting aid to theft. What's more, Curran and Lorgan, who'd been robbed of their most valuable item, were going to sue me for every dollar I had. I went down to their offices. Mr. Curran, Mr. Lorgan, I've been a fool. But apologies won't help now. What will help is that I can recover that stolen Poe manuscript. The three of us waited until the buzzer sounded. Then we marched into the classroom of Professor Thayer. The look on his face was a dead giveaway. And in his briefcase, we found the manuscript. Figuring it out that it was Thayer wasn't much harder than solving the poses. First, there was his greeting to me just before the hunt began. He talked in rhyme about a sortie into mystery. Tiny lead, but it did point to him as a guy who thought in rhyme. A possible author of the invitation and the posers. But the big thing was the wording of the final poser. It's number 12, but not by lift. That's the English word for elevator. And Thayer was English. Funny thing, Thayer didn't want the manuscript for the money he could realize on it. 
He was just a scholar who let his love for rare books go to his head. Like I said, it may sound clever to commit crime in rhyme, but remember that criminal is now doing time, which is my idea of poetic justice.